Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Well, we are moving into the second Sunday of Easter season together. And uh, I hope you were with us last Sunday as we had our Easter gathering. It was awesome last week. I mean, one of my favorite Sundays ever at the parish. And uh, if you missed out on that, you can follow along on the website. You can go back and, and re-experience that. But we're in our second Sunday of Easter season. Easter, like Christmas, is not a day. It is a season in the church tradition. It's a season of seven weeks that lead up to the ascension and then eventually to the season of Pentecost. It's a season in which we say and confess the truth that Christ is risen, right? That's why we started our gathering with that call to worship. Alleluia! Christ is risen. He is no longer in the tomb. And the reason it matters is because we believe that what God did for Jesus at Easter, he will do for you. He will do for me. He will do for the cosmos. He will do for his world as he restores it, reconciles all things, and renews all things. And retelling that story as John says in the, the scripture reading there that Katie just read, it fills us with joy, it fulfills our joy. And so again and again, we tell each other, we tell our own hearts the good news of resurrection life because we need to hear it over and over and over. And so throughout Lent, we went through this look at what is going on beneath the surface in our hidden hearts and we plunged into the chambers of our own hearts, into our inner labyrinths, and we asked God to search us and know us, to cleanse us, to lead us into not only the rooms that look like him, but also the rooms that are estranged from him and alienated from him, that God might come in and enthrone his truth in our hidden hearts. The truth of the good news the truth of a God who is actually as beautiful, as good, as loving, as kind, as forgiving, as merciful, as justice-oriented as he says he is. And so in Easter now, we are moving into a new season, but we're going to continue looking at those same kind of ideas, but now with a different focal point. So as we're in Lent, we looked at the dark places of our hidden heart. We're now entering into the surprising sunrise of Easter that we talked about last week, and we're going to ask God to shine his light onto places where there have been darkness in our hearts, the light of a new self. And so uh, for those looking for the deep cut, for the deep dive, for extra parish points, in the Lent season, we uh, looked at the Father's work in our hidden heart. In the Easter season, we're going to look at Christ's work to restore a new self, a new identity, a new personhood to reshape us into the image of Christ. And then in Pentecost, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's work. So there's a Trinitarian movement happening throughout this semester in which we ask God to lead us into the new life that is in Christ. Today, I want to give you a sense of where we're going, and I want you to think of this as like a Google Maps overview. When you punch in the directions, but you, you hit start, but you haven't like gone to the step-by-step -step yet, you get that bird's eye view. That's what today is. I want to give you a sense of where we're going to go, and then we'll go step-by-step -step through it in the weeks that are to come. We're going to rely primarily on three guides throughout this season. And the first is uh, the Apostle John the Beloved. 
John who wrote the book of John, John who wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. We're going to spend a lot of time in Easter season in the book of 1 John. And the Apostle John is the one who leaned his head against the chest of Jesus in the upper room to hear the heartbeat of Christ for himself. He called himself the one Jesus loved. And as we talk about the wilderness seasons of our lives and living into more wholeness, wow, what better guide could we have than to learn from the one who is steeped in the belovedness that Jesus has for us? And so 1 John opens with these words. He says, we declare what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, touched with our hands, concerning the life that has been revealed. Think about that. John was there. He saw it with his eyes, he touched it with his hands, he heard it with his own ears, and now he's passing it on to us. And he continues with that passage that Katie read, which illuminates where our journey is going. We're going to go through it this morning, that that passage Katie read, we're going to go through it line by line. And he says this, this is the message we have heard from God and announced to you, that God is pure light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so the dimly lit rooms of your heart. And I hope you know what I mean when I say that. The places that feel far from God, the places that feel incomplete, the places that feel uh, far off from the good news that is promised in Jesus. Those dimly lit, locked door rooms of our hidden hearts may the surprising sunrise of Easter crest into those rooms just as we see it in our painting there, shining, just beginning to shine on the light of Mary Magdalene. God is pure light, and we are called out of darkness and into that wonderful light of a new day, of a new way, of a new world. We've been using that phrase, spiritual formation, to talk about this. It's really core to who we are as a church. And and we've been using the the work, the expert guidance of who our second guide is in this, this process. It's a contemporary of ours named Robert Mulholland. He's a New Testament scholar whose work has been incredibly influential in the world of spiritual formation. And he defines, uh, gives us that definition of spiritual formation that we've been using, that it's the process of being conformed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And we've been walking through that this process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. That's the goal, that's the purpose, that's the point, that's the telos of the Christian life, that we might become more like Jesus for the sake of our own healing, for the sake of others, for the sake of God's glory in the world. We do this out of a life of loving union with God, not by trying hard, not by striving, not by effort, but by abiding in Jesus, and we set ourselves up to be acted upon until more and more Christ light and life shines through us. And so when you're plugging in into the GPS of the Christian life, what the destination is, it is spiritual formation, right? That we might become more like Jesus through a life of abiding with him, not trying to arrive, but abiding with him in loving union. Now, if you're like me, the tension comes because Easter has dawned. We find ourselves in the resurrection light. We find ourselves, uh, you know, in this new day, but we are not yet where we may hope we would be. We don't always taste all of the life in Christ we wish we would. And so we see that first idea that this is a process, and Katie read it, if we walk step by step in the light, it's a process. 
And we don't walk that process in our own control or in our own way. We walk in the light as he is in the light, right? So in the way that Jesus walks in the light, so we walk in the light. And that's so important so that we don't actually form ourselves spiritually into our own image instead of into the image of Jesus. We are conformed to the image of Christ. And then as we're going to see that, it changes and impacts both our inner lives and our outer lives. Katie read it, that we have both fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from sin. So there is this inner reality that also changes the way I show up in the world in relationship to others. It is always for the sake of others, but it also is for the sake of our own healing and God's glory. So this is where Scripture is leading us. It's leading us off the maps of the life that we have known and into the light of a whole new world. But again, then we struggle with that idea of like, where's the holdup, right? I don't know if you can relate to this, but like, okay, I keep hearing about this life, keep hearing about this good news, but I don't always see it. And what is with that nagging two steps forward in my spiritual life and then 1.9 steps backward? Have you ever experienced this? I experience this frequently of like, I, oh, like I think I'm making some, some progress in this area of unlikeness to Christ, that, that, that God is healing me and, and transforming me, and then it seems like all of a sudden back where we were. How do we make a move into the newness of life that Christ offers us? And so that's the heart of our subject matter over Easter, that though we are living on the other side of the cross in Easter's daylight, there is a now and not yet reality to this. Just like Jesus inaugurated his kingdom and his kingdom has come and is coming, there is both a now and a not yet reality to that. The same is true of our hidden hearts, that there is a reality in which the kingdom of God has come and a reality in which it is still coming in my own heart. And so the light has broken into some rooms and the shades are still drawn tight in others. And we find ourselves asking for God to keep coming in. And so there's two ways of being in the world. There is the way of my kingdom. There is the way of Christ's kingdom. And the biblical writers try to get their arms around this reality, this kind of now and not yet thing that even though Jesus has risen from the dead, we don't always find ourselves flourishing in the life that really is life that is promised to us. We find ourselves sometimes still struggling, and they use different words to talk about this reality. They, they use words like sinfulness, selfishness, the old nature, and perhaps most famously, the Apostle Paul, who's going to be our third guide in this journey, uses the phrase, the flesh. The flesh. The flesh life is used by the Apostle Paul, who firsthand knows the reality of a deeply transformed life, and yet at the same time confesses, I find myself doing the very thing I don't want to do. He's aware of this push and pull, this tug-of-war reality, and he's going to lead us forward in that. And so this deeply entrenched part of our lives that doesn't just slip off when we come into our Christ life, We'll call it the flesh. We'll call it, uh, you know, some, the, the old nature, some of those things. In modern times, we have different words for it. We'll call it the ego sometimes, the illusory self, the imposter, or the phrase we're going to use, the false self, the false self. And it's used by Christian spiritual writers throughout really most of church history to talk about what is going on with this part of my life where I am still estranged from Christ even though I've said yes to him. 
And that old flesh is a deeply self-referenced approach to life. It hangs on for dear life. It does not just slip off just because we said yes to Jesus. And we see it in our fear. We see it in our hostility. We see it in our compulsions, in our pride, in our unhealthy appetites, in the agenda that we inflict on others as if it were a manifest destiny of sorts, that I want my way, I want it now. And it tells us this lesser gospel that we are at stake, that we are not safe, that we need to fend for ourselves, that we need to try harder, that there are no good options, only bad options. And so we want to hear the truth instead of that lesser gospel. The false self is going to be one way of being in the world. The Christ self, the way that we are invited to live into and the getting there is that process of spiritual formation. The false self is a self that is marked by fear. It's marked by fear, it's always under threat. We know many, including ourselves, who live this way, always under threat. And it's overinflated, but it's underfilled at all times. It's puffed up, but it's not filled up in any way. It's a master manipulator. It's always working to leverage the world in ways that are advantageous for me. And because of this, the false self is coercive. It's always blaming others. It's always scapegoating others. It's distinction-making. Me, good guy, them, bad guy. It's dysfunctional, it's ultimately destructive, it's possessive and indulgent, and yet always still in need. Doesn't matter how much it gets, it's still in need, it's easily offended. These are descriptors of life in the flesh. And so much of what brings us to Jesus, we don't want to live like that anymore. We're invited into a new way, and there is another way, and it's this other way, the Christ self. And that's what we're going to talk about in this season of Lent, this invitation of Jesus to transformation back into the Imago Dei, how we were initially made. And you'll notice I'm using the phrase false self, but I'm not using the phrase true self because often we can end up using the phrase true self as a way of like self-actualizing, right? Like my version, my understanding of what it means for me to be me might be different than the Christ self rising in me. Right? So we want to say, Jesus, have your way. Let me be conformed into your image. All right, if you've been on this journey long, you know that there's no amount of superficial tinkering. There's no religious tweaks that we can make that really make any kind of substantive difference in the false self uh, fading away. It just keeps coming back. It's like this jacket that we wear all the time. It's it's entrenched in our lives. It is an amazingly pervasive structure. In many ways, it is ourselves as we know them, the false self. I've shown up in the world as my false self for so long, I really know no other way. We need resurrection to come. And the reason it doesn't always come is because though our present state of brokenness and deadness and incompleteness is uncomfortable and we say we don't want it anymore, the reality is at least I know my way around that life. It's safe. It's known. I'm in control of it. Something about it works for me. But this whole other way that Jesus invites me into, that feels risky. That feels new. And I'm going to have to trust. And so just as the Israelites are invited into a promised place, 
but the wilderness comes first. So we are invited into a promise of a new life, but it comes like it did for Abraham, having to leave the home of the life we have known and walk into a place that feels like we are a stranger in a strange land until it becomes a promised land. And so we go in search of that life that really is life so that the Christ self may rise in us the way Jesus rose up from the tomb. The way Jesus rose up from the tomb, we need help knowing how to get there. And so in our closing minutes today, try to give us a pattern of the process that we're going to then walk through over the next few weeks together. And you've seen me kind of tease this on the worship guide for a few weeks now, and we'll just sit with it. And I'm kind of sharing some of the same ideas bit by bit because I want them to go beyond head knowledge and actually become so entrenched in us that we see them showing up in our Monday through Friday life, not just the kind of Sunday life where we go, yeah, I heard that. Good idea, Jordan. Check. I want it to show up in the midst of your everyday relationships. And so let's look at the great story for a moment. And we'll go through this pattern that we're going to follow step by step as we uh, move into the Easter season. We'll spend a few minutes on this and then we'll wrap up and come to the table. So if you look on your worship guide, you'll see this pattern there. And we're gonna go through this over Easter tide. The stages you see there function in two ways. They can be thought of as either the overall path of Christian spirituality, what it looks like from the moment I say yes to Jesus to the moment I enter into eternity, but they also can be seen as the steps toward wholeness in any particular area of unlikeness to the the image of Christ. So we can follow incrementally this pathway in each area of life to say yes to Jesus, to cooperate with God's work to become more like him. And so we can actually see the pattern of the story of Lent through Pentecost stamped onto this process that we walk through in our lives as well. And so if you think about Lent, the whole point of Lent is that it is a journey about control, right? And we see this in our passage today, 1 John. If we say we have, shared, we have a shared life with the Father, but we continue to live in darkness, then we're lying and we do not act truthfully. So this struggle for control is the epicenter of these two ways, the false self and the Christ self. The false self is playing the role of God in our lives in many ways. And so that's a crucial problem if we really want to be submitted to God. And Lent invites us into the wilderness, which is where we learn to let go of our control. Control is the primary barrier. And then we come to Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, this idea of confrontation. First John says, if we claim that we're free of sin, we are fooling ourselves and strangers to the truth. And if you want to talk about confrontation, just listen to those words. Those words don't play well in modern society. If we think we're free of sin, we are strangers to the truth and fooling ourselves. It's offensive. There's something in my ego and my false self that is offended by that statement. You can't tell me that. You can't tell me I'm a stranger to the truth. You can't tell me that I have sin in my life. It stings, it offends us. There's a confrontation precisely because the process of being conformed to the image of Christ takes place at the places we are least like Christ, then those are also the places that least want to bend their knee to the authority of Christ, right? So we should expect there to be a clashing and a confrontation. And Palm Sunday typifies that showdown. Jesus rides in one way, Pontius Pilate rides in another way, and there's a clashing of two kingdoms, and there it is decided which one will be crowned king. There's confrontation. And then there's crucifixion. 
brings us to Good Friday in the story. Ultimately, and this is important, the false self has to be told a better gospel or it will never go away. And the way it is told a better gospel is that it is okay for it to, like John the Baptist, become less, that God may become more, to fade into the background, to actually, yes, even be crucified with Christ. The false self is crucified with Christ. This is what Jesus means when he says, take up our cross and follow. It's what he shows us at Good Friday. And so John gets at it in the passage today. If we confess our sins, if we come clean about them, He won't let us down. He's going to be true to ourselves. Our part is that, confession and cooperation, and God's part is to transform us. And he who's faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. And so we'll end with this, that if we go through that process, the control of Lent, the confrontation of Palm Sunday, the crucifixion of Good Friday, what rises on the other side in Easter's light is a new Christ self that has been reshaped, reformed back into the Imago Dei. The false self dies, but the Christ self rises. And we are forgiven. He who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins, and we are cleaned from all that is unlike Christ, and it leads us into a newness of life with God. We're increasingly then stepping into the Easter sunlight of a wholeness empowered by God's presence, and that leads us to Pentecost, the final part of the story, where the Holy Spirit is given for life with us, and we keep company with God himself. In the hidden places of our heart, we receive a new spirit at Pentecost for the life we are promised at Easter. We'll keep walking through that step by step over the weeks to come, but I want to end each week with an examine. An examine is simply a simple prayer practice where we come before God and we look for God's presence and activity in our lives throughout the week, throughout the day. And so as the kids come back, we'll have them participate in this examine with us also, we're going to do this every week during Eastertide. In fact, I want to encourage you to consider doing it every day as your prayer practice throughout this season of Easter. The examine is this. It is that we confess that God is always working in our lives, but we don't always notice it. And so the examine is simply an opportunity to pay attention, to slow down, to notice God. You may want to do it at your dinner table. For kids, it's a way to play I spy with God. Where did you see God at work moving in my life today? And so here's the exam, and we'll pray it together as we move to the table. As I reflect on this past day or week, where is God calling the Christ self to rise in me? I don't mean that in any kind of super psycho, uh, psychological kind of way of like, uh, I, I, I'm trying to find the words for that. I don't mean that in a lot, uh, like kind of an out there way. I mean that in a way of where is Jesus transforming me into his image? And if you pray that prayer every day, you may find that some days you're like, I don't know. But I think over the course of weeks, you're going to find a theme emerging. God's calling me to rise into Christ-likeness in this area, and it keeps showing up, and it keeps showing up, and it keeps showing up. And then you'll be able to apply that to the pattern that we're talking about of how to say yes and cooperate with God to that end. And so let's take a moment even now, and I'll allow you to reflect on that question, where is God calling the Christ self to rise in me?
And now would you stand with me? And we'll confess our sins and receive God's mercy as we move toward this table where we commune with Christ. Would you join me in our confession today? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.